Welcome to this week's Two Men in the Middle. This is where two men in the middle of the country get together and talk about politics, current events, and all kinds of stuff. I'm Craig Huey. I'm Brandon Kinnig. Uh, so, Brandon, we are uh, with the day before Halloween. Is anybody, are you expecting any trick-or-treaters or anybody coming to your, to your place on Sunday? I don't really get too many trick-or-treaters on my block just no. because I'm in a cul-de-sac and okay. it's a little bit cut off from the rest of the neighborhood. So it's kind of a track. You have to get up a hill and you would have to find somewhere to park if you're a parent. But cul-de-sacs is what we used to look for as kids because you could go in, hit every house, round yeah. back out. Cul-de-sacs was always the target market. We, we live on a cul-de-sac too in a kind of self-contained subdivision. I, oh, bet, okay. I bet we don't get five kids. Well, and see, I'm in a cul-de-sac, though, that's off of a main street, a pretty busy street. So I think that's a problem. If I was in a cul-de-sac, like, embedded in a neighborhood, uh, you, you know, there'd be plenty of kids. But I, I'm on the outer edge of my neighborhood and kind yeah. of away. It's not very walkable. And is it mostly now, like, the YMCA has a, a Halloween party or the school yeah, well, has a Halloween the party? Church- the, the churches, all these organizations, they have like the trunk or treats and they organize yeah. the trigger treats. A lot of the shopping centers, you know, had started doing like trigger treats as well as uh, promoting it as a safer alternative to doing yeah. it in the neighborhood. So there's all these other options that I think have kind of taken uh, the place of the traditional trigger treat. And that makes sense. I mean, it hurts me when you say safer alternative to your neighborhood, but you're right. That's People don't know their neighbors enough anymore just to allow their kids just to to run free even through a subdivision that you just don't know anybody other than your immediate neighbors on your your street. Well, and it reminded me there was a story earlier this week locally for those who live in Kansas City, I think up north, where – this woman was fleeing police. Did you hear about this? No. And then she just fled into this random neighborhood <laughs> and like barged into an old woman's house, um, attacked and I think killed the old woman, then oh barged into another house and fleeing from cops, attacked uh, an older man, um, did not kill him. He's injured. And this was, and I forgot what she had an arrest warrant for. And, you know, these are people that just happened to have their doors unlocked, and it was just a normal morning in their neighborhood. And who would have thought that there'd be this crazy woman yeah. on the you're, run for you're police? You're really not selling Halloween here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it's prob- that, that's probably, like, yeah, bad juxtaposition with kids going trick-or-treating. But just to say that, you know, it's like you never know what can happen. And so it's just like— Door-to-door yeah. trick-or-treating is another just casualty of—, of of it, of modern life it's just not going to happen anymore. it's not and i think back to like when i was a kid and i would go with my um sisters and cousins and like my grandma's neighborhood and it was like east side kansas city like you know it wasn't super safe then but it's especially not as safe yeah. right now but i mean we would go blocks and blocks by sure. ourselves like yeah. at night up the streets and i mean well like six seven eight block radius um from our grandma's house and i can't imagine that um, no parents do that today. Yeah. We did the same thing. We just ran wild. We had, I grew up in the country, but you know, you had three costumes. You had a ghost that was a white, an old white sheet with the eyes cut out. Yeah. You had hobo. That was where, you know, mom put some mascara on your face for a beard. You put on some <laughs> old coats. You, you tied a stick with a rag on it. Right. And you were hobo Pretty common or one. you went in drag. That were the three costumes because that's what you had readily available. Yeah. You took mom and dad or you took a, a king size pillowcase and you basically were told, don't come back until the pillowcase is full. And we just ran around the neighborhood and two neighborhoods over until 930 or whatever time was designated for us to come home. And we came home with 15 pounds of candy each. 
And that's just, that's just not viable at this point in time. No, it, it just isn't. Um, yeah, I remember the days where it'd be like comparing candy with uh, friends and cousins and, and trying trade. to find the best ones and trade and do like all that. One, yeah. You have one weird cousin that likes suckers. Right. So you take all your suckers up and trade him like all of his Twix or something good for suckers. Or you inevitably get the bad candy, like candy corn, which I thought was awful. Sweet and I, tarts. Yeah. Just throw those. Did you, did you save them or did you just throw those away? Uh, I think I tend to throw them away. (laughs) What I also, what I really liked is I remember as I uh, got older and went into different neighborhoods, like going into the wealthier neighborhoods, in some cases they give you like a whole candy bar, like the kind you get like at the grocery store, like a Hershey's bar or something. That was always like Did you just trade masks and just double back around and hit them twice? (laughs) We used to do that all the time. Oh, that's that's a great idea. And then you have the people give you like change. It's like I, thanks. I never great. had that. I heard about that because yeah. somebody on the TV said like, "Don't give kids pennies." No. I'm like, "Who gives kids no. pennies?" That's you do like that awful. today. The kid's gonna be like, "We're just permanently not coming back to this," or you're gonna push a kid into, "Let's just go to trunk or treat," right? Because it's or if you're one of those parents that's obnoxious and you're like, "We want to promote being healthy, so we're gonna give like a healthy treat or a toothbrush or stuff." Like, no, just there, <laughs> no. There's like, no dieting on Halloween. No, guys. the whole Candy, point of Halloween is that's to indulge. Right. Come diet. On. Some other day, yeah. so you can eat like a horse on Halloween. That's the way. That's how an enjoyable life works. Right. And if you're denying your kids candy on Halloween for health reasons, you're probably a bad parent. Yeah, you're probably not, but you. But in some ways, you are. Yeah. Brandon, talking about Halloween sounds like way more much fun than diving into politics and the three topics we came up to talk about this week. Well, and I think because there's like never any progress, we revisit some of these same topics over and over again, and it's a sign of just the stalemate in Congress and kind of where we are with the times that we live in. So Biden announced yesterday, I believe, that he has reached a economic framework on the Build Back Better agenda. No clue what this means. And I haven't heard any type of expanded explanation to what this framework is. No. My my guess is they've come to some sort of agreement with the wealth tax or the taxes associated with this. Well, it's been stripped down from $3.5 trillion to about $1. Or two trillion, one. I think it's like one point five. I've heard one point two, one point seven. Nobody really knows. And you know, some of the larger provisions were stripped out. Some of the, um, I think, things that Democrats got really excited about. Yeah. Universal. Wait, is universal pre-K still in there? I don't know. I've not heard that that's been bumped out. But okay. to your point, most Medicaid of the big expansion stuff, is that's gone. Gone. Uh, the guaranteed. Paid leave that's is out gone. of there. Paid junior college. Right, that's, that's out of there. That's gone. All of the stuff that, or at least some of the high-end stuff that you could have led the marketing with this bill for to the public, seems like that's all evaporated out. Right. Which I think tells you why they never put together some type of marketing message around what was in the bill, because they always knew what they landed on was probably going to be much, much smaller. And and this all comes down to two senators. It really comes down to what they want in the final bill. Um, and it's, again, just this uh, fascinating uh, uh, idea in terms of it's how the Senate works, right, where you need to have those 50 votes. And when you have two votes that can scuttle their yeah. entire bill – they really are the ter- determining factors of what goes into that bill and they alone. And so just kind of a unique mechanism that's not the case in the house, but is the case in the Senate. What do you, what do you think of the feedback of the theory? It's not just the two democratic senators, it's 52 senators because yeah. no Republican has even engaged in any type of conversation or debate around this bill other than to, to rip out the individual piece parts that they hate. 
So do you give some credence to moving forward on something like this? This just isn't two Democratic centers that are holding up. This would be completely partisan in how, how it moves forward. We've talked about this before, but does that enter into the equation anywhere oh, with I how agree. people think about this? Well, I think that's why there's all of this attention on reconciliation process and reforming the filibuster, because this is the new normal going forward that you know it's going to you're going to be hard pressed to get republicans on board uh, the only thing biden was able to get them on board with was the infrastructure part of this bill yeah. and outside of that i think for his agenda there's no opportunity to have republicans join and that's just kind of where things are right now do the republicans pay any price in midterms especially in the senate for the fact that they just didn't participate in this process at all. I mean, you don't have to be somebody who's going to sign on to this legislation. There's plenty of reasons why you wouldn't. But right. for the fact that they wouldn't even talk about it, what does that signal to their their base at this point? Well, I think that's part of the problem. If the elections were held today, they would win. Thankfully for Biden, they're a year away and plenty can still happen. And the problem is, though, I'm very cynical that they will be held accountable. It's possible. But if we look at past and past as prologue, if we go back to 2014 and 2015, when Republicans started shutting down the government and playing these games, they did not um, face consequences for that. They mm -hmm. were not held responsible in um, the election cycles of uh, 14, 16. Um, you know, 18 Democrats won back the House, but that wasn't due to Republican obstructionism. It was due to Donald Trump. So I think that that's important to remember is that Republicans have played this game before. They've taken it to new levels, and I, I'm just very um, cynical that you know that they yeah. won't face any type of uh, consequence for it. And it feels like the Democrats. I'm supposed to give the Democrats credit for passing something. I think is their approach to this. And because they didn't put a marketing package around this bill to really tell me what's important that they were trying to get passed. I have no idea if this bill, because I, I think whatever passes, is it a win? Is it good? Did it accomplish what they wanted to? Because they never laid out to me of the 50 things that we really want. Here's what you need to pay attention. Here's what yeah. we think is going to do the most good. And it feels like that was done by design. And we're getting more and more to when we have these big packages of legislation. It's more important just the party vote is more important than the individual legislation vote. Than the substance. And I think Correct. that's been the problem. There's been a messaging problem from the beginning with this because what we don't know what the centerpiece of this is no. and what the, the highlights and the priorities are. What did the administration really fight for? Uh, there's know. no indication of that. We don't know. Oh. And what? Yeah, I'm sorry. Go and there's ahead. been criticism too that the administration hasn't been at the forefront like they should in no. trying to get this over the finish line, uh, you know. And publicly, their messaging has been the timeline doesn't matter, you know, is whatever it takes, however long it takes to get something passed. But that doesn't do any good, especially when you have yeah. off your elections next week in Virginia, which we'll get to, which are usually looked at as a harbinger of what's to come in 2021 yeah. and, or 2022 in the midterms. It's incumbent upon the administration to get things done sooner rather than later because the clock is ticking. Yeah. And the landscape could look vastly different uh, come uh, November 2022. So 
publicly, I don't know that it's the right strategy and tact to just be kind of like very laissez-faire about this and be like, oh, it's fine. Whatever no. happens, happens. That's not the... you really got about two or three months left to get yeah. something done. And then early 2022, everybody goes into campaign mode. Right. If, you're no, if you don't have an election that affects you, you're endorsing or you're trying to pick winners and, and using whatever political clout you have to get other members of your party elected. So you're right. If this doesn't get done quickly... It's just not going to get done because people will lose focus as everybody turns to turns Well, to and part of the problem is it becomes there's other really key uh, pieces of legislation that should and need to be addressed before 2022. Things like voting rights, uh, for example. And the longer that the administration is stuck trying to get this package across the finish line, they can't focus on anything else. And the Democrats can't pivot and exert pressure on being able to do something elsewhere and voting rights is a great example. So here's something that they weren't able to get to the magic number 50 on. Yeah. Manchin came forward and said, hey, you know, I think there's some pieces of this that are good. He came up with his own voting rights legislation that was somewhat stripped down but still had some core key elements in and it. And what happened to that? No Republicans None. supported it. And here he was like, oh, I can get Republican support. Not a single one. And so this should be an opportunity now for Democratic leaders and Biden to go back to Manchin and say, see, like they're not working in good faith with you. Yeah. You need to rethink – uh, reconciliation process uh, on things like and the filibuster and carving yeah. out exemptions for things like voting rights because look you tried and failed and this proves that there is no path forward on being able to compromise on legislation like this and I think that was important and I think it was interesting what Schumer did by telling Manchin go, go find support for this you keep saying publicly and I'm assuming privately in the Senate there is a bipartisan path yeah. on these things fine Go show it. Go get one Republican senator to sign off on what you said, even a stripped-down voting rights idea. Give, give any indication that you can build this bipartisan coalition you keep talking about, and we'll get behind you. And it was nada. He couldn't even get Romney or no. Murkowski or Sass to sign off on something. No, and, w and it was interesting to me because Murkowski was the one who had uh, given hints and indicated um, much earlier that she could, she might be able to support yeah. something, and, and that didn't happen. And I thought his legislation was great, and for Republicans, it should have been something they could have supported because it protected – Things like voting voter ID, which Republicans are all about, but yeah. it also made Election Day a national holiday. Yeah. It included specific number of early voting days. Common it, sense rules. Yes, common sense rules that I think, again, br would bring both sides together, but yet not one single Republican. So where I always get disappointed in when a big piece of legislation passes, because every time it does, it just proves to me that something serious, like a serious... Uh, a rehaul of our voter system. There's no way that could happen. A serious health care bill. We're just not capable right now of passing meaningful legislation no. because the, the Republicans have no interest and the Democrats have no idea how, how to do it. The Democrats don't understand that you have to reach across the aisle. You're going to have to find some ways to build at least some sort of common understanding of what you're trying to do. And then they absolutely suck at building a message and putting it out to, to their base. Yeah. So if the, if the Dems made a hard pivot off of this, let's say this fails or they pass a skeleton of what they were trying to do. Now they're going to make a hard pivot in a reelection year to voting rights. I, I don't think that I don't think that happens. And therein lies, I think, the problem for them. And there's going to be less and less time to focus on that because, again, this has taken so long to get this build yeah. back better 
plan across the finish line. Which plan would you would have picked, knowing you're Biden's, you're Biden's head of, you're his chief counsel, and you know going into his presidency, this is going to be rough. There, there's a lot of partisanship. Any president's going to struggle right now. Would you have picked the Build Back Better agenda first or gone after the voting rights thing first? I would have gone after the voting rights because I, would have I think too. that is more central to ensuring that Democrats can get elected in future years to be able to pass some of that more difficult legislation. Because if you can't get voting rights passed and you're not able to um, solidify majorities in future elections, you won't be able to pass anything. Yeah, And we know that um, with uh, just very little time left before the next election cycle, that you know, big agenda items like what they tried to do with this $3.5 trillion spending bill were dead on arrival with just the numbers that yeah. they have in the Senate. Like, So why would you spin your wheels on something like that rather than voting rights, which gives you the authority and the ability to be able to come back to some of those bigger items in future election cycles? But again, if you know if Democrats aren't able to win in the future, then all of this you know is a discussion that's not going to be had anyway. And wouldn't because to pass voting rights, you can't do that through reconciliation. You'd have to get ten senators on, or board. you would have to do a carve out um, of, on the filibuster, or the filibuster. You would have to convince Mansion and Cinema to say this is something we should carve out, just like they have for judges in the past. You know, they okay. made these carve outs. When it, uh, on the, uh, the filibuster rule. So they could do that for the Voting Rights Act, too, um, and just say just for this. So it's not a matter of saying we're going to eliminate the filibuster entirely, but they could do a carve-out exemption. So to get voting rights done, Manchin and Cinema would have to get on board with with the carve-out of that. And Correct. so far, they, they haven't shown that, they, that they're willing to do that. No, but again, I don't even know how much pressure has been brought on them for that specifically. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of the problem is there's been so much focus on the Build Back Better, and that's where all the attention is now. So that's sucking the oxygen completely uh, out of everything else. So that, that's part of it as well. What do you think would be easier to get Manchin and Cinema to can the filibuster, the carve-out just for voting rights, or something that 10 Republican senators could vote for? I Probably something 10 Republican senators could vote for. Well, I mean, soon, that's, as soon as I said that, what would that look like? What could 10 Republican senators that's the thing. vote for? I, I can't even think of anything that's right, right now. That's right. I don't, I don't know how you get to 10. You bear, it was such a long haul to get to 10 on the infrastructure bill. Yeah. Like, that was tough enough. And I, I just can't think of anything else as far as legislation where you could get there. And maybe that's why they chose the path they did, that you can't and, – and I think um, Manchin just proved yeah. this. You, even if you let the Republicans write – you offered them to write the legislation, they wouldn't do it. Right. They're just not interested in the topic. You can get to like three, four, and five, and yeah. then it stops. And I think – and part of the challenge too is um, if you look at which senators are up – Murkowski, who would normally be one to vote um, and go across yeah. the aisle, she's up for re-election next year. She's and she's the only senator who voted for Trump's impeachment who's up for re-election, facing a Trump person in her primary and facing Trump too, because yeah. he will definitely get involved in that. Oh, re-election. oh yeah, I mean he has already yeah. started his pack as funding her opponent, and his pack handpicked her opponent in Alaska. Yeah. So that is waiting for her, and her one saving grace may be the fact that 
Alaska implemented um, a uh, uh, the ranked choice ranked voting, choice voting yeah. um, and this um, kind of jungle primary system where everybody runs together, and then the top two finishers um, go face to face in November. So that that could help her, but but yeah, so you have those political dynamics at play that are changing, you know, and and are having a toll on people like Murkowski and basically preventing them from you know doing what they normally would do. And Biden, I think, desperately wanted something signed before he went on this trip to Glasgow. He's at a big. He's, he's at the G twenty, and I think climate, climate is a change, big, is climate a change, and he wanted topic. to announce something there. Right. Do we still have the position, the moral authority, and just the juice to keep pushing people around on climate change when our record on it really, we're not showing any leadership by any stretch of the imagination. Well, no, and I think. I mean, it takes time to uh, repair the damage that was wrought. I mean, we have to, yeah. you know, start to build back our reputation and authority, and it doesn't happen overnight. So, I mean, I think, you know, Biden is still, you know, fresh and new and after four years of Trump. And so I don't think we have that authority yet. And I think it's going to be difficult, too, because with the divided Congress, well, Democrats have control of Congress, so I misspoke there. But uh, technically, a divided Senate, yeah. it, you know, it makes legislation tough. And Europeans are smart. The European leaders know that and see that. So I think they're also skeptical, and they can read the political tea leaves and say, well, we're not going to hedge our bets on the U.S. So be yeah. able to lead or do anything. They're not going to do anything. No. And, and I think that's why the Europeans learned over the last four years to start to kind of um, go it alone and kind of, you know, do what they need to do and not look to us. And I don't know that that's going to change. I think obviously it's refreshing that there's new leadership in the White House and they appreciate that. But in terms of the dynamics for them, um, yeah. it's not going to change how they operate. I think it's fair to say that any politician that tells you a centerpiece of their agenda or a piece of legislation that they're in favor of is lowering the cost of prescription drugs, they're just lying to you. They're just talking about an easy and cheap applause line. Because once again, that was something that was put into this Build Back Better agenda that I believe has been stripped out. It is. And the reason it was stripped out is you have a couple of them House members um, who are supported by yeah. uh, Big and Pharma cinema. and Cinema, who are supported by Big Pharma. One of them um, represents a San Diego district where a lot of pharmaceutical companies are headquartered. Who, you know, And so he... Um, Congressman Peters, Scott Peters, I think, from San Diego. So he was one of the ones that uh, – but it also shows you the power, too, when it comes to this legislation. When you have small uh, minorities, particularly on the House side, there's only a, a majority of five for Nancy yeah. Pelosi. So all you need is four or five House members to scuttle a bill when you don't have any Republicans yeah. that are going to cross the aisle. Brandon, so that's what we're seeing. Were you personally offended when Kristen Cinema sat in the Senate leadership chair in her denim jacket this week? You know, I mean, I thought it was tacky. <laughs> um, it was interesting to see all the debate over it. And yeah. it was interesting because it was, like, um, you know, a lot of re Republicans were critical of her. A sure. Lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, I think. A lot even, of tan suit outrage. Yeah. Um, you know, I can under – to some degree, I think um, – I don't think it's equivalent to the Obama tan suit thing because I think there is something to be said for decorum, like on the Capitol. Uh, I, I agree. You know, it's a different place and it represents something different. And so it does stand out. Um, you know, some of the same people that were critical of her have been critical of uh, Jim Jordan because he's also one who tends yeah. to show up and, you know, yeah, and not, not be wearing the jacket. Yeah. yeah. 
so I can understand it. Um, I think it's ridiculous to exhaust a lot of energy over it because it's yeah. the least important thing. But I think it also speaks to, I think what's frustrating about cinema, and this is outside of her politics because I'm someone who can appreciate just overall moderate uh, politicals um, bent, but the frustration with cinema is this whole idea that she doesn't care at all yeah. what people think. And, you know, she likes to to do this uh, kind of shock, you know, and she, she's get performing. attention. And, you know, she did that when she cast the vote against the minimum wage, if she you remember that. She did the little that. curtsy. Yeah, yeah, and she tends to wear bright colors. But yet she doesn't talk to the press. She doesn't talk to constituents. Mm. She doesn't do town halls. Um, her office is unreachable. She had, yeah. um, I think, something like four or five vets on her military advisory board that quit yeah. in unison is kind of a statement. Yeah. Um, so this is it, it. There's a lot of political theater going on with her, and so I think that's the more frustrating thing is that this kind of fits into that narrative. With and I'll ask the same question: For whom does she perform? I, I don't still know. can't figure that. And out. And again, this is what's so intriguing. She started out on as a Green Party yeah. person in Arizona, very far left, and then gradually moved to the center, which I understood um, in Arizona state politics, which is what you would do as a Democrat. Um, but you know, it's, it's interesting to see her vacillate and I don't quite understand her end game. Um, we've talked about this before, but the people close to her say that she sees herself as the modern day, um, yeah. in, uh, incarnation of John McCain. Yeah. Um, but I think we both agreed. No, that, she's that, no John that's a McCain bridge though. Too yeah. far. No, I mean, John no. McCain talked to the no. press. He defended his that's votes. Right. He told you what he believed on the issues and she doesn't do that. She's an enigma. Whenever you're comparing yourself to a gentleman who spent five years in a, in an enemy war camp, you're probably picked the wrong person to compare yeah. yourself to. And, and I, I think that's what's most frustrating because we, she has shown time and time again, she will, she was the reason why, they could have passed the um, or pay for this uh, bill back better with their tax increase that they were planning on because she came out the last minute and said she couldn't support that. And so, hence, they found this new funding mechanism, this uh, what they call the billionaire tax. Yeah. With the capital gains uh, I, tax increase. I, I heard one time somebody walk through what that was. You have to have you have to make over a hundred million dollars yeah. for three years in a row, and then they they take your your stock and they they put a one two or three percent tax on the value of your stock or something. Yeah, something uh, like that. It's complex. I don't see how that's going to work. And it's interesting. Cinema announced so she's like, oh yeah, I can support that. So well, <laughs> and again, if you want people putting money in investments, yeah. you want to prioritize putting it into the stock market. Right. Because if you make the stock market where it doesn't pay out like people are used to, they'll just pick something else and that will be the new thing to speculate on. Wine, Art, real estate. Yeah. They're, they're just going to shift it's, their investments. Yeah. That's it's what's going to happen. It's not a good thing if people start pulling money out no. of the stock market due to they're getting taxed on un, unrealized income. And th that's why this is much more complicated. The easier thing would have just been to return to pre-Trump 2018 tax levels, right? Yeah. Which is what the Democrats originally were going to do. And, and yeah, technically it's a tax increase, but it's really, I mean, we're just going back a couple years to what the tax rates were a few years back. I mean, that's really yeah. all it is. But Cinema said she couldn't support that. What Google can't tell me, because I Google all the time, how does Jeff Bezos get money? How does, how does a billionaire who's a billionaire on paper actually get cash in hand? Yeah. 
And I think what what happens is like Bezos just takes his stock, puts that up as collateral, and gets an almost zero percent line of credit from any number of banks that he has around the world. I think you're right. Yeah. Couldn't we figure out a way that if you leverage your stock to get a loan that's not for something specific for tax your business, those couldn't we tax that as uh, yeah. income? Yeah, My as point, a transaction of some type. There's yeah. got to be a better way to do this than the complexity and the weirdness of trying to tax people's. You're going to tax our 401k now? And, and I say this knowing that we laid out the rules. You have to have $100 million a year for three years. That, that may be where it starts, but that's not where it's going to finish. No, and, th- and I think that's the concern most people have. And if, if that trickles down lower, that's going to have, like you said, a direct impact yeah. on investment and on, on the markets. The other thing that got stripped out, which I was glad uh, was stripped out, was the automatic reporting to the IRS of uh, bank uh, transactions of $600 or more. Which was, I thought, kind of ridiculous, and there was a lot of pushback on that. So this well. is why my side sucks at governing. Okay, we we we're, we're laying out this big piece of legislation, and we in our in our outline we say, hey, we, we need to do some more tax collection exercises. You're running the team. I'm putting together ideas. You say, okay, Craig and team, hit me with your best stuff, and I come up with that one. Don't you say, let's never say that again. Because that's never going to fly. Yeah. It's way too complicated. The perception from our base would be, what the hell? And we just handed another line yeah. to the Republicans for something that you know is never going to get in Oh, there. and the Republicans were crazy over that. And it's like, why even include that in the Correct. first place? It's just, it's... Yeah. Why take all the shit that you know isn't going to go and that you're just handing over you know, op-ed research to your, your opponent, why even give that stuff the light of day? I just don't I understand, just don't understand what the, the, the point of that and what putting effort and energy behind something like that. What, what do you get out of that? I Compared don't know. to the other big priorities that, that matter, really? It's well, going to spend that's the time thing too. on that. What is the big priority? <laughs> Again, we go back to that. We don't know. What's the thing that say, hey, if everything else falls away, if we get this, this is how I've impacted your life. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. The, the, the Democrats desperately want to govern. It's just every time they get the chance to, they just show how much they suck at it. Yeah. And the Republicans have just, they're just showing you right now, they have no interest in leading and no interest in governing. We're so far for, gone from the days of, uh, I mean, you go back to the early 90s. I mean, when we had two consecutive presidents, we had George H.W. Bush followed by Bill Clinton, both of which were, you know, governing types, right? Yes. I mean, and we have, we just don't have those types of leaders anymore. They're gone. And that's the problem. Even Bush saw the value in government. Oh yeah. And he never downplayed government's role or he never devalued no. the government the way Republicans do. Today. No. And I mean, and that hurt him to some degree, right? I mean, that's why he had primary opponents because yeah. he was all about a uh, balanced budget and bringing down the debt. And he, you know, ended up supporting a tax increase, but it was also the, the smart, thing to do yeah. under the circumstances but but yeah we just we don't have those types of thinkers or policy leaders anymore they're they're gone it's all performative politics yeah. now and if you look at who's rising up the ranks and who's running state by state on the republican side it's just a clown show <laughs> <laughs> let's switch to virginia and yunkin i yunkin is interesting to me because my understanding is this is the first office he's ever ran for correct he, he's a he's a businessman of some sort in virginia and he has played nice to to Trump. He has not directly come out and taking a an opposite position to just Trump's existence. 
He he he's a ne- he's not a never Trumper. Right. But I don't know if he's a Trump. He, again, he's trying to thread the needle that everybody running on the Republican side in 2022 will do. How do you not alienate that 30% that's completely loyal to Trump, but also not come apart as come off as part of this raging lunatic that's participating in Trump's big lie and this sideshow that he's become? Yeah, and I think that's the the issue for him, and that's his challenge, right? He has a senior aide who was at the Capitol on January 6th. Yes. You know, Trump, there was all this talk about Trump coming in to do a rally for him, and that was scuttled, and Trump's doing some type of Zoom virtual rally now. I saw where they were like, he's like, I'm going to go to Virginia, <laughs> and they're like, for the love of everything do holy. Remember Georgia? Please, please don't do that. And McAuliffe is like, yes, please come to Virginia. We want those photos. We want the Because it sounds like McAuliffe's last, I mean, McAuliffe was, was comfortably leading the, the CRT issue came into play, yep. and we can talk about uh, how this happens. And he makes this wild gaffe during a debate of saying parents have no place in laying out the education curriculum for their children. That is obviously a rookie 101 mistake, right. and it's all snowballed on him from there. And so now you basically – the race is up in the air, and if I were to say, I would say that um, Youngin uh, has the – it feels like lead it. Lead now, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it's his to lose. We'll see on Tuesday. It's going to be notoriously close. It's going to come down to turnout. It will also be a testament of whether or not pollsters um, have been able to mm-hmm. get this right. Yeah. Because, I mean, since 2020, their track record hasn't been the greatest. Because I um, saw Yunkin plus eight in one the Fox, Fox News poll. poll it's yeah. like, what? Most of the others still have it um, split, like even, yeah. even, like 45-45 with like 5% undecided. So I, I don't think um, Youngin has a, a five or, or an eight-point lead at all. I think it's still, like, um, within the margin of error. I think so. I mean, this race to me is interesting because it proves a couple of different things. One, debates still matter. And a misstep at a debate can really derail Completely. a campaign. I go back to who was the doctor candidate who ran against Marshall, Barbara Bullier, uh, 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 yeah, Doctor or Barbara Bollier. Yep. Okay, she you, was a Democrat. You yeah. remember her Senate her debate performance? Oh yeah, where she forgot her answer to taxes. Right. You that that's a fatal mistake. You oh yeah, can't, you can't as a that. Democrat running in Kansas, if you can't answer a tax question that you know is coming during a debate, she lost the election. If she had, if she ever had a chance. She lost it, it was that lost day. At that point, yeah. Debates matter, and they and McCulphy, who was a governor. 2000 and something or the other, he, he should know better. And that one line, that one sentence, him misreading the room has put everything up in the air. Oh, completely. And for those that don't know, Virginia is kind of a quirky state when it comes to politics. McAuliffe was governor. The reason he's running again later, there's a law in Virginia. You can't serve two consecutive terms as governor. You can only serve one four-year term. So you can run again after four years, but you can't run for re-election okay. immediately after your first term. So that is why McAuliffe served one four-year term, had to step down. Uh, you know, you had Governor Ralph Northam, who's been in office now for the past four years, and so now McAuliffe is running again. The infamous Michael Jackson impersonator? Right. <laughs> I'll never forgive his wife as long as I live. The day that press conference, uh. and he's tried to explain it, and he said something about Michael Jackson. He was going to do the moonwalk, and a reporter says, can you still do the moonwalk? And he literally, Brandon, grabs the podium in front of him to start moving it. And for one split second watching TV, I thought, I'm going to watch him moon. This is going to be the greatest. And his wife grabs his wrist and looks at him like, don't you dare. 
It, we were so close. I remember talking about we that. We were yeah. so close to hit mood walking. Anyway, uh, the, the thing that the, the Republicans have latched onto is a local issue. Yeah. CRT in school. And more, more, more importantly than CRT in school, what rights do the parents have in defining the curriculum in a public school district? And where McAuliffe completely misread the moment, nobody is in the mood for anybody to tell me what to do, especially anybody that's in the government. And when Macaulay basically said, you know, hey, you don't have the right, that was, that was a catastrophic error and just a rookie politician error that you would not expect him to make. And then he had to double down on it by appealing to the teachers union. Yeah. Then a week after that, that gaffe he made, instead of trying to manage that gaffe, what he basically did is he went and gave a speech in front of the Virginia teachers union and told them they were the real heroes of the pandemic. So he just threw a one-two right-left punch to the face of every parent, basically, in Virginia, and whose, it, whose life was blown up by the fact that they didn't have in-school, uh, in-class in school. Right, so there's year. already a lot of tension and anxiety yes. from the last year and, and not being able to have your kids in school and having to uh, co-parent and co-educate at the same time. Uh, and so you have the controversy with CRT, which is a blown up manufacturer sure. controversy, but you have a national PAC, 1776 PAC behind it. That's funneling, um, yeah. just hundreds of thousands of dollars in local school board races. Even here locally, I've received mailers from this national PAC, um, outside of New York, uh, for local school board races here. And this is something we've never seen before where we've seen races on the local level, the school board level getting funded by yeah. national entities. It's ridiculous. So, so that is happening. So you have that though, on top of, uh, all of the angst and anxiety from last year and parents feeling kind of that they're under siege and not knowing what's going on and what's happening. That's why you have to tread carefully on this issue and not say anything that's just going to add fuel to the fire or cause parents to think, you know, there is this this massive, um, you know, a, a idea that somehow parents don't belong or shouldn't yeah. have a say in children's education. And, and again, it just it gives fuel to the other side, um, especially when a lot of the claims are untrue. There was an ad that Youngin ran on a mother finding um, yes. uh, something wrong with the book, yes. uh, reading material for her son. Now, what is left unsaid? Yes, this the, is good. The context behind this ad: this was high school and her high school son, and she talks about how the imagery in the book um, was graphic sure. and it was inappropriate. What she leaves out is that the book was beloved. Yeah. Um, so the, the the 1988 Pulitzer Prize winning book exactly about the slave experience in the United yeah. States, and and again that, she also leaves out that her son was 17 right. and a senior, and this was part of a college credit placement class. I think a 17 year old can stand so reading Beloved, especially you know yes it's graphic, but it's also it's about American history and it's what actually happened, and so that is all left out. But again, it's smart strategy yes. on Youngin's part because without that context as the viewer as someone who's consuming that tv ad you can translate that as you will it can be whatever it conjures up in your mind and so it leaves it to the viewer's imagination to think oh my gosh it could be just 
Yeah, I mean, let your mind go wild. <laughs> that ad, I think I heard the same thing where you heard that. Because you're right. You're thinking, my God, was this was this a Hustler magazine yeah. they were making these kids read? What Were they like reading some type of pornographic, pornographic novels? Right. No, they were, winning, they were reading the 1988 Pulitzer Prize winning novel. And when I heard that, I'm like, you got to be kidding that me. That is and so widely this considered one of the greatest yes. works of American historical fiction. Right. They, they, Without that context, you're right. That commercial really resonates with a bunch of people. What I don't understand is, I've seen no polling on this, but I can probably guess that the public's opinion of teachers right now has to be at an all-time low. There's no way it can be, it can be good at this point. You know you've got this CRT thing that the right is going to try to spin against you. It seemed like McAuliffe, if I was saying his name McAuliffe, wrong, McAuliffe yeah. used none of that in his strategy towards how to approach this campaign. And what I really find odd, if I'm McAuliffe, what I lead with is, guys, I've been here before. I've done this before. My four years were widely considered successful as a governor. He... McAuliffe also is in a point where there is such an anti-incumbent sentiment out. He can't use his biggest chip, which is, folks, remember that four years I ran the state? I mean, I kind of knew what I was doing, and and you kind of liked it. So you combine with he can't run off his record of governor, and then this colossal goof that he did that then he went and doubled down on. I I still think McAuliffe's going to win. I still, I still think, think so. There's enough now. Here's what he should have done. Vote. I don't think he has to directly reference his governorship, but he could say, you know, we Virginia has had some great times. We're booming. Yeah. Our tech industry is growing. Um, our economy has thrived over the last several years. We can't risk it all on on you know the on someone who's untested, um, who will play to you know the very kind of base whims of his party. That's not who we are as Virginians. There's, there's ways you can message that. And as far as the CRT thing, I mean, McAuliffe is a parent. I think that the best way to handle that question is say, hey, I get it. I'm a parent, too. Yeah. You know, I know what it's like. I care about what my kids read and what they do in school. Um, you know, and so I but I trust the teachers. And that's why it's important that parents have those relationships with their teachers, school boards, yeah. that they're as close as possible to the parents. Um, you know, and that that be confronted, but also, you know, let's not overblow or exaggerate that there's some, you know, major crisis or the teachers are, you know, just filling our yeah. students' minds. Like, you know, I, this is a stock answer. This, yeah, this, this is what I don't it's, get. It's easy to, I, I think, constantly message am just blown away when a politician stumbles on the stock answer. That's why Barbara Bollier in Kansas, you're a Democrat. You know tax questions are coming. You be prepared for them. I mean, you knew, McAuliffe, you knew this was coming. Just pull the standard answer that you gave that you've rehearsed a thousand times. Yeah. Put your brain on autopilot. I care about teachers, their relationship to the community. Parents have a right to participate. It has to go through a process, blah, blah. I mean, it. It's, it's an easy question to answer anything except what he did. Yeah, and the whole thing, too, is curricula is made um, available to the public. It's there. It's accessible. Parents have the opportunity to come to school board meetings, to voice their concerns, sure. to be there when votes are taken. I mean, it's the as about democratic as it can be when you're talking about your local school boards and your local school districts and what, what goes on. Uh, there's so I think it's just reinforcing that process and saying, hey, there isn't any grand conspiracy to cut parents out of the no. process. 
um, or to do anything different. We teach about uh, in, uh, you know being inclusive and diversity. Um, inclusivity and diversity are, are part of our district. That's you know, but you know, CRT is a college level program. Yeah. It's not taught here. Um, we are providing for all of our children just as we have, you know, for the last how many years? I mean, it's no different. Why can't, and I know the answer to this because politicians don't give us credit for being humans that have fully functioning, forming brains and that we can think, and they try to appeal to our base level at all times. But if I'm McAuliffe, McCauley, say his name McAuliffe. again. McAuliffe. Yeah. thank you. I would have played that ad during that debate yeah. and said what you just said. Let me provide you the context. And here's that. Yes, because I mean, they Let should have a direct response and say, is. hey, this is what That's you're right. seeing. Yeah. I saw a great tw- Twitter thread. Let's go through some of the things that were said about slavery in textbooks in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Let's walk through, you know, how slaves were supposed to be, you know, their masters made them content and treated them well because a happy slave worked better. Let's show some of the illustrations that were in Kentucky's. Uh, 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 um, textbooks in the 80s, I believe, that showed like the white uh, uh, plantation owner greeting the slave family as they got off the ship, shaking. If 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 you really want to go here, let's go here. Yeah. Let let me show you what we're fighting against. Let me show you how silly you potentially look when you talk about how race has been been right. been. Let, let me let me lay that out for you and. Let you decide. I just don't understand why somebody can't take a more intelligent approach to some of these things with with the voters. And if you lose, hey, at least I lost telling the truth and trying to educate. I just don't understand why that doesn't resonate with Democrats at this time. I I don't either. I think it's it's I don't know why they fail again and again on messaging. They need to be able to push back. They need to be able to refute nonsense like that when it comes out very strongly. Because the problem is ignoring it, it allows it to fester and it becomes that perception becomes reality. And yeah, it's frustrating on the outside watching it because it is so ridiculous. And it's yeah. all about teaching history openly and honestly as it actually happened. We've taught history through this lens, uh, you know, very, f- you know, feel good lens of uh, uh, that America was always great and that yeah. everything was hunky dory. And the fact is, that wasn't the case. And it's just looking at taking a more realistic take at what was wrong and what was right and putting it all out there for kids to uh, learn and digest. And, you know, that's the thing is when we teach history honestly and in a transparent way, everybody's better for it. I agree. Rolling Stone this week came out with a huge report on January 6th and basically said that there were planning sessions through the White House – through several Republican members of Congress. This is your, your usual group, your Mo yeah. Brooks, your Madison Cawthorns, all of those folks. And Paul Gosser. Yeah. This was really a coordinated effort from the White House to that group of lunatic Republicans in, in Congress and then folks outside like the Proud Boys, QAnon, stuff like that. This article seemed to get absolutely zero interest by more established media outlets. My theory on that is Rolling Stone's journalistic reputation is absolute dog shit at this point in time. I mean, we can go through the the Duke lacrosse 
rape scandal. Oh, yeah. That was that, so he lost. Yeah. I think it was the, the University of Virginia rape scandal. Oh, that, that was that they, was Rolling Stone as well. Yeah. Is it just that everybody is going to doubt this because it's from Rolling Stone and there has to be more reporting? But it seems like well, I, there should pieces be more are starting to click together and on And some this. of these pieces I had heard about months ago, but yeah. again, there hadn't been extensive reporting behind them yet, is yes, we do know that there were planning sessions and that all of this was known. So the whole idea that the White House knew that this rally was happening but had some kind of hands-off approach is BS. I mean, they were involved in the sure. coordination, the logistics, raising money, uh, all of that, and, as were these members of Congress. Um, you know, and that's why, um, you know, there's that famous episode um, when the Capitol was being attacked and the members of Congress were fleeing. Uh, I think Jim Jordan reached out yeah. to Liz Cheney and said, uh, do you need help? And she like slapped him she away. Said, get the fuck away that's from me. That's what she said. Get the, you get the fuck away. This. You caused get this. Get away the from fu- me. Right. Yeah. I, you know, which is, which is true because she knew, yeah. uh, you know, uh, so again, I don't think it's eye-opening or surprising. But it's about being able to, uh, with journalistic integrity, put those pieces together and say, you know, this didn't happen in a vacuum. And far from it, this was coordinated. It was set in motion. And, you know, the White House can't claim plausible deniability here. Uh, Their actions led directly to what happened, and they had to know what was going to happen. And it seemed like the Democrats are making Jan 6 the corner piece of their 2022 pitch to the the American people that— I'm assuming they're hoping the steady stream of information and the things that are yet to come about January 6th completely poison the well for Republicans. That's the only thing that I can think of that they're – or that's the only active strategy I see them working right now. Right. Well, and that – it'll be interesting. I think it's also incumbent upon them – well, the committee too. I hope – you know, and and not that it should influence um, their work – uh, what they find out, but um, it would be helpful to be able to bring out all of these insights or be able to summarize a lot of this by the time we reach the anniversary of January 6th sure. next year, because that will be a milestone to be able to remind people, hey, look, we're one year out now from, um, you know, the um, only the, probably the second time in our history that we didn't have a peaceful transition of power yeah. and our capital was attacked. And here is actually what happened. Here's what we found. Here's what we have to do to make sure that this never happens again. And Kinzinger's retiring. He's not rerunning. He got um, redistricted. Yes. I think uh, he, he's not going to run. Redistricting. Again. So he was put up against, I think, Rodney Davis, a fellow Republican, and he just opted not to run. Um, so that uh, that awful Trump loser um, in Ohio, Josh Mandel, yeah, treated John, out um, you know two traders down, eight to yes. go. Um, because Anthony Gonzalez was the other congressman who voted for impeachment yeah. who decided I mean, not to run again. It's him or J.D. Vance, right? Yeah. That's... I, it's, it, it's, just, it's awful. That's where we've come to is that, uh, you know, that I mean, to just throw around the word traitor and not have any consequences politically for it's that. Just... I mean, Josh Mandel will probably win, let's be honest. I mean. I think so. I mean, I have three words for Kinzinger, blaze of glory, yeah. light it all on fire as you leave. And I think he will. I'm yep. interested to see what his next move is, whether he's going to start some type of organization or, or he's not done. He's not going to just go into, you know, in, into the darkness. Like, I feel like he sees it as his mission to do something 
to turn the political tide, something in opposition. So, and he hinted at that in his video that, you know, this is, there's more to come, like watch. Yeah. So, and, and I think there may, there could be good to that. I think he could be more effective outside of Congress. So let's well, see what he does. I've been listening to Jonah Goldberg a lot, talk about the third party option. We yeah. need another third party. And then he has a group of people that come on that just shit on that idea and basically say, here's why a third party will never work in the United States. It has to be an insurgency within, within the one of the, one of the So what you do parties. have happening is um, you have Principles First, which is this right of center anti-Trump movement that is announced that because uh, I've been somewhat on um, those discussions because uh, I know the organizers of that on what do we do? Do we try to remake the Republican Party? Do we do a third party? Yeah. Like how, what's the best way? So they've decided to say, hey, for the time being, we are going to endorse and support members on both sides of the aisle. We feel have the right intentions yeah. and can kind of move America forward. And that's what they've done. They've come out with their slate of incumbents that they are supporting. That's almost, you know, many of them are pro-Trump impeachment Republicans and then many kind of moderate centrist Democrats in, in the House. And then another organization that's doing the same thing is um, Andrew Yang's new yeah, organization. that feels more grifty i don't and it may really. be yeah so i don't know a whole lot but that's what he's announced that he's looking at kind of endorsing yeah. people on both sides Brent, of the aisle. what do you think if that group of senators came out and basically said here's our moderate sanity platform here are the things that we will not do you know we will not put another supreme court justice on the bench that within the last year of uh, or whatever, we'll define what that rule is. It doesn't matter if you're in the last rule. As it comes up, we'll at least have the hearing. Um, no more Supreme Court nominations that can't get 60 votes. What if they just came out and said, hey, if you, if you join this center coalition, these are the rules. A that platform, we, we, yeah. This is our platform. This is the pledge you're making. We think this will work with voters. Go run on that and see what happens. I, I think that would be great, and I think that would resonate, and because that's easy to digest and understand, and I think Americans can get behind that. I would say, though, that you also, as part of that platform, like to be able to have influence and, and endorse candidates who can get across the finish line, you also have to come out with a platform, uh, voting reform platform. Yeah. So look at open primaries, uh, looking at ranked choice voting, some of these reforms to where you can get people who are sensible, pragmatic across the finish line, because the current uh, system does not work. The current partisan primary system yeah. you know, is a deterrent to be able to have those people come out of the process. Brandon, are you looking forward to the day that you can look at your friends' photos on Facebook as part of some virtual reality experience where you're a 3D, you know, image within Facebook interacting with your your aunt's holiday <laughs> pictures and your uncle's political No, I mean, like outside of a screen where it's like holographic, like yeah, just out I mean, here and like don't, a, aren't you really interested to jump feet first into the the Facebook metaverse? I'm not. Uh <laughs> And maybe I've seen too many Black Mirror episodes on Netflix, but I don't kind of like how that where that goes directionally. Isn't, isn't the problem with that technology is it has to reach a certain tipping point before it's viable. Yeah, you just don't flip yeah. a switch. Put and, these goggles on and see something in 3D. That's cool. But right. that has no... Do you remember when Google Glasses came out and yes. that was the rage for all of like one hot minute and then those just fell? And I mean, Google discontinued that. 
so I'm trying to get away from the computer, so now I wear it on my eyes, basically. Yeah. I don't think that, that – to me, Google Glass has never made any sense. They weren't very functional. No, did you ever practical. try them? Try it I, I put a pair on once at a demo thing, and I didn't really understand. It's like, okay, how, how am I supposed to just exist – with these glasses. Right. On. I mean, it was, it was kind of cool, right? There yeah. were cool features, but it did, it seem very functional. I couldn't no. imagine wearing those every day. They were a little bit heavy. So you, if somebody said, what's, what's two things in your day would get better because you have these glasses on? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you can see emails easier or faster. That's really not, not a positive. No. And, so, I, and I don't know that I want that ability to have to have those on day in and be no. flooded with information no. and insights like I just. So do you think this is a planned move by Zuckerberg and Facebook or is this some sort of weird kind of throw people off the scent announcement? I'm more of the latter pressure. because I yeah. think I'm skeptical of the timing because <laughs> the timing is really interesting. I mean, coming off of all the bad press with the whistleblowers testimony yeah. before Congress and um, and then the further leaks by Facebook employees. And then all of a sudden this announcement comes out and, oh, how convenient. You're well, going to have a name change me, for your parent company. Help me out, Brandon. You're, you're in the marketing space. So we are under tremendous pressure here at Facebook because – the perception is we we promote fake information that has a negative impact on people's lives. Right. And through the through the leak of the Facebook papers or whatever we're calling them, we 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 know. We know what we are. We know what Instagram is. We we know we do these things on purpose. And we know we do it to maximize money. That's the pressure we're under right now. Yeah. Brandon, how is the answer announcing an immersive universe that we want to suck you fully into so we can pump you dry of every piece of information? <laughs> what, what are you talking about, Zuckerberg? You've completely missed the moment. And that video that he put out, he's got to stop doing those himself. <laughs> They need some other person to do. Well, he's that always been robotic and lacking emotion. And does he put a filter on his face? Is that that pasty kind of uh, that's Halloween just who he is. mask yeah. he's wearing? <laughs> what What are you doing? No, I don't. That's that's just Zuckerberg. But no, I think it's a diversion, right? It's just a complete diversion. And like, hey, look over here. Don't pay attention to that man behind the curtain. Look at what we're doing. So, and so I don't know that it's going to be effective because in all the reaction I've seen online to it, people have been lampooning it and just, you know, laughing about it. It just, it doesn't seem realistic. They have this new logo that's like an infinity symbol and it, it's very grandiose, I think, yeah. for a company that's faced a lot of well-deserved criticism. Uh, there's no uh, sense of humility on the part of Facebook. And instead, they're just like, oh, by the way, we're work working towards this concept where we're going to be everything. We're going to yeah. be physical manifestation. Like, the, you know, it just, it, it, and we've talked about this offline, but even if that were to come about, which I think is years and years and years and years away, is Facebook the conduit for that out, out of every company out there uh, really facebook who's... what do you go on do you do anything serious on facebook and as we've talked about no. facebook has you know their average user age has increased hell yeah most of the younger kids are on tiktok and or snapchat instagram. and instagram yeah. so facebook has been kind of left behind um and i think that's why they have so much criticism now i think it's reflective of the fact that their user base a average age has increased, and so it's made those people who are older more susceptible to propaganda and misinformation, and that's why that has taken such hold. They're no longer the platform of choice for those that are young and yeah. uh, up and coming. 
they are the platform of choice for the older um, generation. Yeah. And they're causing a lot of damage. And when we talk about the damage in the United States, we don't talk about that it's usually, it's much worse than many other countries. In India, yeah. a lot of tension yeah. between Hindus and Muslims, which has always been there, has flared up even more because of Facebook. And then in uh, Myanmar, formerly Burma, um, it's the same thing with their ethnic minorities. So in many of these other countries, Facebook is directly responsible for fanning the flames between ethnic minorities yeah. in some of these countries. So we're here, it's political tribalism. In these other countries, it's just out-and-out out, um, ethnic warfare that's happening because of Facebook. Well, the, the chick who did the leak, and I don't think she's a whistleblower. That was a coordinated hit. Yeah, she, she coordinated with a oh, lot sure of media been, yeah, outlets to get a while. that done. But she talked about they created a, a, a fake Facebook account, you know, Cindy Williams I heard about from this. South Carolina, conservative Christian mom. conservative. Within two days, they're flooding her with QAnon groups yeah. to join. It kind of reminded me, did you see that um, that Netflix mockumentary, the satirical one no, about I did, 2020, Debt to that. 2020? Oh my gosh, you should go Is back and good? watch it. It's so good. They have a character on there who's supposed to be this like suburban soccer mom. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I'd like my kids, blah, blah. And she's like, I've been, you know, have more time online because of the pandemic and the internet shows her going to like QAnon and neo-Nazi message boards. So that, that Facebook test exercise fit right into that narrative. And that was a mockumentary, but it's like, hey, that's so true. What I love is when Zuckerberg or somebody who defends Facebook says, well, we're just the, we're just the town bulletin board for the world. I'm like, that is the worst analogy <laughs> no. ever. You're the town bulletin board. If the town bulletin board knew every single piece of data about me yes. before I walked up to it and then reorganized the board to show me things based on the fact that yes. you know every single thing about me. You, were, you would be the town bulletin board if all of that information was presented to everybody on an equal footing. And instead, what's happening is information is only surfaced to particular groups based on how you perceive yeah. they will react and consume it. And so it's a uh, complete blurring of the lines where you are deciding what uh, info you put out there. And a town bulletin board, all the same information is visible to all of the same people who come to see it. That's yes. not the case with Facebook. And to see the real crazy one, you maybe got to walk to the other side of the right. bulletin board to look. Instead, all of the crazy ones are categorized and presented to me. Right. Is one of the problems with, I think, Republicans have and conservatives in general with criticizing Facebook is really it's a critique of capitalism in some ways. Facebook really doesn't provide many essential services. Facebook is an example of, in capitalism, if there is a market, it will be exploited. And everything about that will be exploited to the goal to make money. Yeah. If we have to radicalize you, but we sell you ads along the way, well, there's a market for, ra for, being, for ra radicalizing people. We're just playing by the rules of, of capitalism here. One of the big critiques of capitalism is it... It spends a whole lot of people's time, energy, and effort to sell you something that you really don't, don't need. And yeah. in honesty, didn't want in the first place until somebody told you you wanted it. I think if we, if we get really neck deep into a criticism of Facebook, what we're really doing is criticizing some of the forms of capitalism that technology has really kicked into overdrive. With that being, if there's a market, we will exploit it. And if the side product is you feel like shit about yourself because you don't look like these people who are presenting themselves as 16-year-old girls that are 28-year-old models, so be it. Money is to be made. That's what we're going to do.
Exactly. And the fact that the ramifications of capitalism under normal circumstances, um, you know, might cause ethical issues or dilemmas. But when you're harnessing technology, it's even much more dramatic and the ramifications are much more lasting. And so that's that's the impact. And how do you sort through that? It gets into ethical, what's ethical and what's not. And um, yeah. And so in some ways, there's probably a... um, some self, some introspection that needs to happen um, as far as capitalism goes. And um, and it goes back to what's the right amount of regulation? Where do yeah. we regulate? Like, where do we start? Have you watched Dune yet? I have not. I uh, haven't either. Well, and I, I don't know. I feel like... We're I, like the only two people on the planet that are like movies yeah, everybody's that haven't seen watched Dune. And I never saw the old movie, so uh, I feel like uh, I need to see that one first and you, then go so see one, the did, new one. I, I didn't read the book, but did you read the book? I did not either. So I, I don't think I could read the book because it's like a thousand pages I mean, yeah, and it's, it's thick long, and that's yeah. just not – I didn't realize, too, that book came out in 65. Really? It's, I didn't, I didn't, know didn't that realize either. that book was that old. I didn't know it had such a large following until this new oh, film yeah. came out, and I was like, wow, I was blown away. I didn't know that. So the David Lynch 1980s dude movie totally sucks. It, it doesn't – the technology and special effects That's are what I've heard, yeah. awful. The acting is not good. It's weird because it's one of those movies that became kind of a cult classic because yes. it was panned at the time, yeah. but it's had its following now years later. It's got some moments, and you can see the bones of something really, really good in that movie. Yeah. And by all things I've heard that this thing just blows from a, from a cinematography um, experience. If you can see this in an IMAX theater, especially with their sound, that's the way to do it. That would be, yeah, I want to see it. I kind of want to see it before it leaves um, at AMC Dolby because the Dolby experience with the surround sound and the the big screen would probably be pretty amazing. here's my complaint. It's a two-part movie. Yeah. It just ends. It's like one of the, like the Lord of the Rings movie. It's just, it's just over. So there's a part two that's coming out? Well, they just announced that they've green-lighted part two. Okay. Well, should I wait now and just see them both in like two years? Yeah. DC one. Kind of like Hunger Games was like three movies. Yes. And they, they didn't, the Lord of the Rings movies, I think they shot them all back to back to back. You're right, they did. Yeah. Because the the older gentleman, Liam, somebody who plays Gandalf, he's like, I'm damn near eighty. <laughs> he's like, this is all I can, I can't I could never do this again. That much shooting. So now we've got to wait for the film to go back in production. It's going to be two years until the second part Ugh. comes out. But yeah, and that's kind of the Lord of the Ring movies were too long for me, and and. It just, I it was hard. I couldn't get into those. I watched them, but they were. Here's not a great way to watch Lord of the Rings movie. Just fast forward through all the dialogue. <laughs> okay, something's happening. I get yeah. it. Okay, they're talking about some mythical bullshit that makes no sense. It doesn't. Okay, it just didn't keep my attention. Yeah, yeah it's you so just, long. Just keep, keep. There my wife hates that because she'll be. My wife tapes like all these Chicago shows. I don't know if you know this, Brandon, but Dick Wolf, the guy who created Law and Order, yeah, he has. Nine TV shows on right now. Right now? Wow. He has the Chicago shows, Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Chicago Police. He has FBI, FBI International, and FBI something else. And he's got Law and Order SVU, Law and Order Criminal, Law and Order, Law and Order, no, Law and Order's off. Law and Order SVU, Law and Order Organized Crime, and one other. Okay. So, and she watches, she records and watches those shows throughout the week. So she's insane. These shows are terrible. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, let me show you how to power through one of these in like 15 minutes. Useless dialogue, fast forward, fast, action, action scene, useless dialogue. Because all the dialogue you've heard before. Yeah. How many cop shows and lawyer shows have you it's watched? The same it's the same time thing. Dialogue, yeah. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. 
that's you could do a lot of fastball running in the Lord of the Isn't Rings. that the case with? I mean, if you look at the cop and medical dramas on TV, like they're all just redundant in some aspect. So one of the hospital shows she watches is New Amsterdam, which is just a terrible show. Oh, the medical show, yeah. yeah. And it's again the hero doctor. Right. You know, invents all of these programs. It's a nonprofit hospital. Correct. Yeah, they serve everybody. And I asked the other day, I'm like, how has this show not gotten in trouble? Because this is a little bit of the white savior show, right? The white doctor rolls into the inner city hospital and he's the white knight that's going to save it everything. I thought we were past that and somebody would have a complaint about that in some in some way. I'm surprised there hasn't been with everything else. I mean, I was, it was like whiplash reading all the complaints about Ted Lasso and the ones that contradicted God. each other. I just, I, I'm like, I can't anymore. Have you like, watched Dave so Chappelle's last episode? No. Yeah. We haven't talked about that with yeah. all the controversy too. I'm yeah. gonna, I, I haven't watched that. I haven't seen it yet either. I wanted to watch it before commenting on it. So when, when Dave Chappelle is doing comedy, he's the best comic working. Yeah. I think, I don't think this is necessarily a comedy show right. that he's putting on. This is more of a commentary. And also too, Chappelle doesn't do a lot of live shows anymore. I think this is part of his exit from that part of the, the industry. I don't think he's going to get on stage much more. And certainly I don't think he's going to tape big specials anymore. We'll see. But I, I don't know why somebody like Chappelle just keeps coming at the same subject matter with the trans community over and over and over again. And I think that's been the criticism yeah. uh, with this is that it's it's been just so many times and it's yeah. been so focused where people have said, hey, it's more than just like a joke or an off. Yes. You know, it's it's uh, just intensive and it's been intensified. And you've proven multiple times that if you want to take on sensitive content in a funny way that causes people to think and educate, you can. Yeah. So why are you choosing this path this way? Or do you think that's what you're doing and we're just not getting it? I don't I don't know. I don't either. And he's been very defiant, though, about the whole thing, which is interesting, too. So I don't know what he his next act is or what he's looking at doing career wise. Like you said, he's probably moving away from uh, televised comedy specials. But the question is, what does he plan on doing? He seems to be using this as like a jumping board. to I think so. I think this is his his exit or entrance into something new as he moves on. But I just don't know why Dave Chappelle has to constantly come back to this, to this issue. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. So singularly focused on it. All right. I think that's our hour. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for listening to two men in the middle. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at two men in the middle.com. Drop us an email at two men in the middle at gmail.com or tweet at us at two men in the middle. We'll see you next week.